ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor with Dr. Douglas Peak. I'm Jesse, your host, and today we'll be digging into Genesis chapter 41 as we continue our study on the life of Joseph. I'm really excited about today because on Tuesday we discussed some really interesting biblical principles that come out of the life of Joseph, but today we get to see how they apply to what's going on in our world. So, what are some major influences in our world these days, Pastor Doug? Well, uh, just to kind of give a recap a little bit, we studied Joseph, right, and how he was taken out of prison. He interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh, and then Pharaoh changed his social status, his authority, his wealth, his household, by moving him from slave to leader. Right. And so that tells us a lot about ancient slavery, ancient social structures, ancient belief systems, we, we can really glean a lot of in-depth information from this story about what was going on societally at that time. Now today, you know, what I've been talking about over time is that there's some major influences on American society today. Because studying ancient history uh, isn't valuable unless you see how we are mirroring or imitating some of the same things. Same patterns. We're seeing the same patterns. And so what does that teach us? And so if it's not applicable to today, then it just becomes an intellectual exercise. But I think it's extremely applicable to what's going on today. And today what we see in what I've talked about in the uh, previous weeks is that Gnosticism has returned in a really powerful way in America. And it's very influential in secularism, secular humanism. It's very prevalent in the diversity movement, its way of thought. And we also add to that postmodernism. Postmodernism is a philosophical position. And that philosophical position is that you develop your own narrative or your own truth. And no one can argue with your truth. You know, if you believe it to be true, it's got to be truth because there's no objective truth. And then we talked about what is known as the Frankfurt School of Critical Social Theory. And this was a theory started in the early 20th century, early 1900s. And it was basically a critique of Marxism. Their belief was is that Karl Marx's theory was the way all societies should go. However, his system was too rigid. And so they wanted some more flexibility in how Mm -hmm. to apply it. And so because of the rise of Nazism, in 1933, they left and moved to Columbia University. And so this social theory or critical theory is now the predominant doctrine in almost every university in America. And only a very few private universities give you any counter perspective on it and so that's what's really interesting is how prevalent this has become and today the frankfurt school of critical theory is now called critical race theory and that's where you get all of these notions of groups and uh, power structures and hierarchies and all of these this terminology around it and we covered a lot of the Gnosticism, postmodernism, and the Frankfurt School in our previous episodes, yes. all of our even-numbered episodes, because we do two a week. So um, you can go back, and if you want to learn more about those, you mm-hmm. can review those um, discussions um, on some of our previous episodes. But 
why are these things so important to you now as our leader of Foothills? What, why are these important to you as our leader? Well, as I've shared with everyone before, is that my concern is uh, the, the bandwagon effect. And the bandwagon effect is when something bubbles up in society really quick. Uh, there's a lot of people in the American church, they want to be on the, the social cutting edge of it. So they right. jump on the bandwagon really, really fast. And then they have to do, oh, uh, you know, they realize, wait a second, this is not what I thought it was or, or so forth. And I, what, what's happening right now because of COVID and what's happening because of the, the uh, uh, situation in Minneapolis with the ongoing riots in Portland and in Chicago, or just on our major cities, that people have are watching this going, wow, what in the world is going on? And what I want you to know is that as the leader of Foothills, I have been a part of the modern-day abolitionist movement since 2000. So for the last 20 years, I've been involved in it. And I was brought to it because of my wife. She read a book written by a man named Gary Hagen, who was working, um, he was on loan from the State Department to the UN, and he was sent to Rwanda to basically document for the UN the Rwandan genocide where 800,000 people were murdered. Mm -hmm. The Tutsis and the Hutus were fighting with each other, and the majority of those people were executed by machete. And it was he came back from that and just said this was the most horrific thing i've ever seen and he started a ministry called international justice mission and so we've been a part of ijm for over 20 years we started a nonprofit probably 15 years ago called the idaho coalition for justice where we fight against human trafficking and modern day slavery uh as a church i have been preaching teaching and coaching on these issues for over 20 years and people have been in our church for a long time say oh yeah pastor doug doug has talked about this over and over and over again and so it's not that we haven't been addressing it but what i see happening right now in this uh, social movement right now that is politically driven and it is twisting the concept of justice it's absolutely inverting biblical justice and the thing the justice that i have been working towards with my wife and i and this whole church for the last 20 years what do you mean by twisting the concept of justice well it's it's very important to understand is that in the old testament and in the new testament in the old testament god yahweh gives instructions about pursuing justice but what happens in this new movement is people quote the verses pursue justice but they don't ever quote any of the verses in which they're in context to and what god is always saying is that you're perverting justice Mm. you know you're perverting it and twisting it and warping it what i want is true justice authentic justice and in the new testament jesus really talked about justice and what was really interesting is that the people that he pointed out were perverting justice the most were the pharisees the the religious leaders that were supposed to be the 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 divinely inspired. Yeah, that we're supposed to know what authentic justice was. But he says, you come up with all these rules and regulations to get people out of acting justly towards their family and doing the right thing. And so, like, like case in point, I think the biggest thing that we hear today about racism and about, uh, is about slavery. And 
I think that that is one way the discussion of slavery is racism and how that is being inverted to warp what true biblical justice is all about. I mean, slavery is ne- and slavery and racism are never fun topics to talk about, but I think they're important. And you have been talking about them, preaching on them, teaching on them for many years. Um, why don't we dive a little bit deeper into them? It's not necessarily... You know, they've, they've, the phrase uncomfortable conversations has been happening, but I think there's a lot of um, perversion of that and just using mm-hmm. your friends. So you talked about this on a previous podcast, you know, not actually being uncomfortable. You're doing it with a friend and, right. you know, they're never going to get aggressive with you. I think it's important to really just talk about it. So what are your insights on, on slavery and how we got to this point? Well, today um, it's basically the position and. American culture and what's taught historically is that it's racism is the origin of slavery. So racism, which is judging someone based on their ethnicity, right? Mm-hmm. And that racism then causes slavery. And so the response today is, is that uh, I think the debate, I, I just to summate it, you know, I don't want to miss any nuance, right. so give me a little grace. But basically, you have one side saying is, look, you, you know, America's never dealt with racism and never dealt with slavery and its impact, right? Uh, and how it's contributed to racism. And then you have another group of people saying, look, we, we fought wars over it, uh, both culturally and in reality, the Civil War. And so why are you stuck on something from 150 years ago? You know, kind of a thing. And so my personal opinion is that both of those positions really devalue the evil of slavery and how broad and extensive it really is. Mm. I think both positions don't understand the true nature of slavery. Thomas Sowell, he is a intellectual. He's black. Uh, he, he's at the Hoover Institute at Stanford. He's been there a long time. And he says this, slavery is an evil of greater scope and magnitude than anyone can imagine. As a result, its place in history is radically different than it is usually portrayed. And I believe he is 100% accurate about that. It's a, the discussion about slavery in America and racism and the connection between the two is is radically different than slavery's place in all of human history. So it's an issue of scope. And if you have a discussion about something with the wrong framework, then you will you'll have false premise and you'll have false assumptions. Mm. And then your solution will be tremendously misguided and your solution can be unjust. And as your mom used to say, two wrongs don't make a right. Don't make a right. And for instance, case in point, between is that what I want to do is I want to try to show you is that racism, which is a problem, I'm not trying to discount that, and slavery are not the same thing. And as a matter of fact, racism being connected to slavery is only a phenomena just recently happening. Uh, between 1500 and 1800, during this, the transatlantic uh, slave trade, when Africans were brought over to uh, predominantly South America, over a million slaves were brought to Brazil. Uh, a number were brought to Caribbean uh, 
the islands and nation states, and then about 346,000 were brought to America. So the least amount of slaves were brought into the Americas per se is predominantly South America and Brazil with the majority. But during that same period, 1500 to 1800, over 1 million white Christians were enslaved by North Africans. And this, this was known as the Barbary Pirates. This is never taught in history class. People don't know this. Uh, historically, China is considered to have the largest market over history with the purchase of human beings. China has been the number one propagator of slavery throughout all of history. No one's ever going to say that, right? Because people don't want to be upset with China, you know, right. because everything we... I think the chairs we're sitting on right now is made in China. Sure. <laughs> chairs... Electronic devices, Everything, mics yeah. probably. Today, right now, there's an estimated 2 million Uyghurs in China in concentration camps that are used for slave labor. They're enslaved. They have zero freedom. The Ottoman Empire, which didn't stop until the end of World War I, regularly practiced slavery. They took boys from the Baltic states. They enslaved them for all sorts of purposes. In India, slavery was not only historically commonplace, but it's still practiced today. The group that we work with, IJM, does more rescues in India than any other country in the world. They are delivering slaves who work predominantly in brick factories and rice plantations. In India today, it's still going on. Uh, if you look historically, the scope of slavery is an evil that dates back to the earliest records of human civilization. Its magnitude was global. And people don't realize how pernicious and how expansive slavery was. Every culture practiced slavery. Indonesians enslaved Indonesians, Asians, enslaved Asians, even the Maori in New Zealand, enslaved other islanders. The indigenous populations of South America enslaved one another. People in America, the Native Americans, constantly practice slavery over and over again. As a matter of fact, the word slave in English uh, all European languages and even Arabic is derived from the word Slavic. And the reason why is because Europeans and Arabs enslave the Slavic people so much and so often that they just adopted the word slave from the Slavic people. Hmm. Today, slavery is still actively practiced in many parts of the world. People don't realize this, but right now there are open slave markets where you can purchase other human beings. In Nigeria, Libya, Sudan, uh, parts of Ethiopia, uh, in many of the Islamic countries right now, you can still purchase slaves. The people who are being purchased in these open slave markets are first and foremost black Africans are being purchased into slavery today. And the second is the trafficking of white girls and children for sexual purposes. 
trafficking of human flesh. As a matter of fact, people are not aware is that slavery is being practiced today in America and has absolutely nothing to do with what you see on the news today. If you, in our work through ICJ, the predominant slavery that is happening now is the gangs. Gangs used to traffic in drugs. That's how they made their money. Uh, what happened is the punishments for the crime of distributing drugs became so prevalent that now what they do is they traffic girls in prostitution. So they kidnap girls, they take them to a town, they take ads out on various websites and things like that and hotels. And then what they do is they, uh, they will prostitute this girl, they will enslave her, and then they can basically sell her over and over and over again, you see. So it's not like drugs where you sell the drug, then you got to go get more. Right. And then once they're done with her, they go. And if they're caught, guess what? They're almost never punished because the crime, is, uh, the punishment for that type of crime, prostitution, sex trafficking is so low. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And so one of the things that ICJ did uh, that we were involved in is how do we get the training out to managers and staff at all the hotels in Idaho? You know, how do we let them know that if a girl is being trafficked, they can, you know, make a phone call, they get, you know, find a way. And then the, the hotel staff can look for signs and notify the authorities. So... This, so the gangs in America are the ones who are practicing slavery today, and they're doing so. So I'm sharing all this data, in fact, with you is because the discussion over racism and slavery is pretty small in comparison to the scope, the evil, and magnitude of slavery throughout all of history. And if you underestimate its magnitude of evil, you're going to make false assumptions on how to solve it. And so I think the biggest assumption is this. Using ethnically different people for the purpose of slavery is a recent phenomena. It's a recent phenomena. If you were to date back to when the first uh, Africans were brought to the Americas and enslaved uh, in the the, uh, early 1600s to the point where it was outlawed in 1864, you're talking about 250 to 300 years of practice slavery. And if you actually... Uh, look at that in scope that's only about three and a half to four percent of the practice of slavery so what how is slavery practiced 96 percent of the time throughout all of human history well it was practiced by the enslavement of vulnerable populations so the name thing that that slavery does at its core is it's about oppressing a group of people because they're vulnerable. And so when you understand that, it's really enlightening in view of the Frankfurt School of Social Theory. Because in the Frankfurt School of Social Theory is that you're only a part of a group, and if you feel your group has been marginalized, then by any means necessary, you can seize power and then in essence oppress all of your oppressors. And that's the language you hear coming out of some of these social movements today in the streets and why people are, 
are constantly rioting and committing acts of violence because in their mind their violence is justified according to social theory because you were an oppressor you know and the old it's the old thing is that well if it's okay right to commit injustice against a group of people because you feel they're really bad like a communist well we can commit an injustice against a communist or we can commit an injustice against a nazi then if we can do that then all you are is you're standing on the surfboard of now all i got to do is convince myself that everybody's a nazi and that's why the nuremberg trials after world war ii were so critically important they were critically important in our history because what we did is we didn't exact revenge on anybody we exacted justice all those people were brought before a court they were accused of a crime then witnesses were produced that showed them this person and then they were given a sentence for their crime see that's justice right you see they just didn't go through and just find anybody and everybody and just do whatever they wanted and because they did it that way what happened to germany it was able to unlike world war one where the treaty of versailles destroyed it and created the seedbed for nazism world war ii was different and because we actually pursued justice, it allowed historically for Germany to become a first world country and a part of the League of Nations, United Nations. And now, you know, it's like, man, can I get a car from Germany? Right. I'd love a Mercedes or a Porsche right now. Yes. We're very friendly with them, right? Mm-hmm. Well, but why, why did that happen? Because we pursued justice and we pursued biblical justice in the right way. And so but the social movements today are justifying injustice in the name of justice and that's backwards that is upside down and they do that because they conflate racism with slavery and they underestimate the pernicious evil and the scope and magnitude of slavery throughout all human history so we've been talking about all the facts it's a little bit more abstract what are some takeaways like really dial it down for me what should we be taking away from this well, I think today in America, people are asking me say, well, Pastor, how, do you feel that, you know, America is a systemically racist uh, society institutionally and so forth? Because when you look at the outcomes of different groups, uh, you see disparity. And I'm like, well, yes, that is true. You do see disparity. But what the outcomes don't show you is where do the disparities come from and why? And so what I would suggest is that racism is not the issue. Slavery is the issue. And slavery is what creates institutional systems. Racism doesn't. See, racism is a personal feeling or a personal judgment that a person has against a group another group right the definition of racism slavery is what creates institutional systems it was slavery that created jim crow laws it was slavery that created uh early on the conflict with the north and the south and it was slavery that required abraham lincoln to proclaim the emancipation proclamation you see it was that was slavery and there is a difference and if you if you conflate the two 
then what happens is you're buying into the social or the, uh, the Frankfurt School of Social Theory or critical race theory. And that is we're only known by not what we believe, the content of our character, our values. Only, you're only known by the, by the ethnic group to which you belong. So I think that that's the first takeaway. And that is, is don't buy into a false assumption because then you will conclude a false premise and you'll never find an answer. Second question I get is that, uh, what is the strongest antidote? How do we solve this? Just this last week, I was in Madison, Wisconsin, helping my wife and her, uh, my daughter and her husband. Let me get that straight. <laughs> my wife and I went to help my daughter and her husband get moved in. He's starting a, a, a PhD program there. And so we were eating lunch with some people. And someone said, you know, based on all of this uh, racial division right now, what is the strongest antidote? How do we solve it? You know, and I think people have, are tired of the blame and the pointing fingers. They go, how do they solve it? Well, here's a takeaway for you. What is the strongest antidote to this overwhelming evil called slavery that has existed for thousands of years? Well, I can tell you this much, and here's where I get really salty. Hinduism hasn't done it. Hinduism actually propagates slavery. It's today in a predominantly Hindu society that is practicing slavery the most. So obviously Hinduism doesn't do it. Buddhism doesn't do it because a big chunk of China is Buddhist. And in Buddhism in China, they practice slavery. And even just recently in the 20th century, they were practicing slavery, you know, between the Japanese and the Chinese. And they love to return the favor constantly. It's not Islam. In Islamic countries today, Slavery is actually practice. It's not secularism, secular humanism. It's not atheism. Because all of these things led to communism and socialism. Communism, whether you want to believe it or not, is slavery. And the reason why is because it removes your individual autonomy and gives it to the state. You exist for the state. You have no individual ownership. And that includes... Ownership of what you think, ownership of what you believe, and ownership of what you produce or your labor. That, my friends, is the definition of slavery. Socialism is modern-day slavery because you are not owning your own labor. You can't trade your labor, not do labor. It is owned by the society. And the society dictates. So you no longer have any individual autonomy to make decisions over your labor. That is a form of slavery. The only, only antidote over the last 2,000 years that has radically stopped the scourge, the scope, and the depth of evil of slavery has been Christianity and Christianity alone. No political system, no philosophical system, no other religion, no other belief system comes even close. It's not even in the same ballpark, the same city, the same state, the same continent as Christianity for eradicating slavery. So if we want to stop slavery and the ensuing impact that it's having on our society today, there's only one answer, and that is to call everyone you know back to Christ. Because the transformational power of Jesus Christ in the heart of, an in, of a person is the only thing that can stop the
the influence and the impact of people trying to vie over power and oppress other people. Those are some very strong thoughts. <laughs> it leaves us something to think about for this coming weekend. Uh, please join us on Sunday, uh, foothills.org, if you're watching online, or if you want to join us in the building, we are have seating available, socially distanced, um, and we would love to see you here. Please leave a five-star review. Um, get the algorithm going for us so that leave we a comment. Leave a comment. If you have questions or um, want us to delve into some other topics, we would love those suggestions. And uh, we will see you on Sunday at church or next Tuesday. Tuesday. <laughs> Tuesday. Next Tuesday on the Salty Pastor. Yeah. Well, I, and I just want to say a big shout out to Jesse. I just appreciate him and what he does here. You know, one of, one of the problems I have is that I just fill my brain with facts and principles and thoughts and they kind of just swim around up there in this cacophony of confusion <laughs> and and jesse's awesome because he kind of helps you know bring them out in an organized fashion so i really appreciate you jesse and being with me on the salty pastor well thank you <laughs> we'll see you guys soon all right god bless you